So if you'd like to turn to uh, Paul's letter to uh, Philippians, we're going to be focusing really on just a, a few verses, um, verse 19 to 26, but we'll we'll just go slightly uh, above there and um, we'll probably read from verse 12, but our, our focus will be on verse 19 to 26. But we'll start at verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labour. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a, a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me, by my coming to you again. So uh, the sermon this evening is in a way closely linked to what Glenn spoke of this morning um, near the the end of his sermon. We're going to be looking uh, at life and at death. Now death can be a bit of a grim subject for many people. And as Glenn spoke about it this evening, we're going to continue down that road this evening. And not many people want to discuss death. It's something that everybody will face, or yet many try to avoid it as much as possible. But the truth is, we will all die at some point. The question is, are you ready for death? I want us just to think on that for a moment. Think of what it means to die. Are you ready to die? Because one day we all will. Are we ready? Are we ready to take that last breath? It could be quick. It could be come without um, any hint of what may happen. It could be an accident. It could just be that moment where we drop down dead. It could be martyred as Stephen was. It could be a slow death. It could be one that is expected. Either way, death is coming. 
But how about we, we phrase that slightly differently? I want to ask a more important question. Are you ready to face God? Are you ready to meet your maker? How about, do you want to meet your maker? Non-Christians tend not to want to meet their maker. Their desire is to live as long as possible, and rightly so, because if they reject Christ, then no way should they desire to come face to face with a holy and just God. Some some people's minds are so corrupt that they think they are right with God and think that they will stand before him righteous and blameless in their own strength. But how about you? Do you desire to be with God? Also, what should a Christian think about death? What should a non-Christian think about death? What should a Christian's desire be regarding both living, being alive, living this life, and in death? And that's what we're going to study this evening. We're going to look at living for Christ and dying in Christ. That's going to be our focus today. So this evening we, we have two points. The first point we'll look at is living for Christ in tribulation. And the second, which we'll, we'll split slightly into two, is we'll be looking at a desire to live and also a desire to die. So we'll look at our first point now, living for Christ in tribulation. And we're going to read verses 19 and 20. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So in the few verses earlier on, Paul had spoken of his bonds in Christ, that being he is under house arrest for preaching the gospel. And he's written that that some continue to preach the gospel to cause further suffering for him. But Paul doesn't care. Paul's desire is that the gospel be preached and whatever is to happen to, to him, so be it. He just wants Christ to be preached and people to be saved. That's his desire. That is his focus. His life is one for Christ. He's living for Jesus. So... The outworking of that in Paul's life leads him, obviously, to preach the gospel, to plant new churches, to build the saints up in the faith, and to, to write letters to the churches. And that's that's the reason why he's written so many letters, because he's, his desire is for them to know Christ more and to, for Jesus to be glorified. And this ultimately has led to a life of persecution, to him being assaulted, to him being arrested, to great physical suffering. So ultimately, Paul's desire to live for Jesus will lead to his death. Glenn mentioned this earlier um, today. He mentioned it this morning, that how the majority of the apostles were killed. They were martyred. Um, you only have to just look at, um, read Fox's Book of Martyrs and see what Christians have been through through history. 
So the Christian life seems a brutal life. Paul's life here seems a very brutal life. The complete opposite to what Paul could have had if he had rejected Jesus. Um, If you just want to turn now with me to to chapter 3. And we're just going to read verses 4 and 5. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul had it made. We read about Stephen earlier. Um, when the people who murdered Stephen, they lay their coats at the feet of Saul. This is who we are talking about, Paul. It's the same person. He was responsible for Stephen's death. And now he is the one who is under arrest. But before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul was known as Saul and he was persecuting the church. But he, he was a made man. In a worldly sense, he was from the best family. He had the the best upbringing. He had the best education. He lived and breathed the law. He was Hebrew of Hebrews. He was set for life. He was the star of the Pharisaical world. He was the main man. He was the up-and-coming superstar. And he led the charge against the church, against the bride of Christ. Now we see he had given all that up. And he had really replaced it with a life of suffering. Yet he still rejoiced in this. And this because is because his mind had been renewed. His desires had changed. His desire to go and destroy the church, to persecute Christians, to murder the likes of Stephen, had turned to a desire to build the church. So the question is, how could he live for Christ having lost everything that was of use to him. He no longer had a well-paid job. He had very little money. He had no future prospects in an earthly sense. He, he had no home. He was now under house arrest. How could he persevere? How could he live for Christ in tribulation? How could he live like this? Well, verse 19 shows that he was dependent on fellow believers and God. Paul states that his salvation here in verse 19, he's not referring to salvation in relation to to coming to Christ or, or being saved, being found guilty or not guilty. Paul speaks of being saved from being a disgrace to Christ. His desire was not to succumb to the persecution, to the tribulation. He wanted to continue to preach the gospel even in these difficult circumstances. Paul's desire was to be saved from the worst thing imaginable to him, which was to disgrace Jesus in some way. That would be such a horrific thing for Paul to do. So Paul's focus, Paul's life was to love the brethren and to love Jesus. And again, this should be the same desire for every believer. But Paul understood how fragile man is, how fragile the flesh of man is. He knows that man is morally weak, especially in times of difficulty. 
Many a person may look at the commands to, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy heart and with all their soul. And they will look at the, the command to love thy neighbour as thyself. And they'll think, oh, I can keep these commandments. And they'll either be crushed when they realise they can, especially when tribulation comes. Because tribulation will really test our faith. And if somebody's counting on themselves to, to survive tribulation, they will fall. Or they may even become arrogant because they falsely think that they have kept the law. The wise Christian, as Paul is here, will look and go, I cannot keep these in my own strength. I cannot persevere through this tribulation. I will surely give way. So they will turn to their helper, just as Paul does here. He turns to the, to the gifts that God has given him. The gift of the church, his brothers and sisters in Christ, who will pray for him, and the Holy Spirit. See, the church at Philippi is praying for Paul and he, he knows this. He's requesting that they continue to do so. They are p- appealing to God for his hand to be on Paul. And Paul had also written something similar to the church at Ephesus in um, Ephesians 6, verse 18 to 20. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me... That utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador ambassador in bonds. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is asking that he will have the courage and the confidence to speak boldly. But he doesn't look to himself. He looks to the church to pray for him, to appeal to the one who will equip him to do this. He wants the church to pray. Because he understands the importance of prayer. See, prayer is not about the person praying, but who that person is praying to. Like the funeral I mentioned earlier, the people there were appealing to any God possible because they were being tossed with the waves. Paul is appealing to the one true God and he's asking the church to pray. So this is the Lord's desire for us, isn't it? That the believers pray in one accord, asking for help from the only one who can provide all their needs. There's no way in times of tribulation that we can stand on our own two feet. Again, when we look back through history at all the the Christians who were martyred, the only reason reason they could stand firm in the faith is because the Lord was with them. And again, as I mentioned earlier about George Muller, he was a man of faith. In his building of of the five children's homes, he never once made a request to anyone for anything to do with it. The the provision kept going because he was reliant on prayer. There was a time where all the children gathered in the hall ready to to eat for, for breakfast. There was no food, there was nothing. He stood He brought um, his friend's daughter in with him because he wanted her to witness what the Lord would do. He prayed and gave thanks. A baker arrived at the door and said, I couldn't sleep at all that night. The Lord had asked me to to bring this bread to you, so he brought it. And the milkman went past with his cart. The wheel on his cart broke. And to save the milk, he brought it for the children to have. And we, we look at that and we... We may have the tendency to 
to look at the likes of George Muller and go, oh, we need to be more like George. George was given faith, the gift, a gift from God. And we shouldn't desire to be like George. We shouldn't desire to be like George Muller and, and, and think, what did he do? But we should look to the one who George Muller prayed to, to the one who provides, the one who gives all that we need. George Muller was just a man. Paul was just a man. But they had a good knowledge and a good faith in the one who provides. And this is why Paul here is urging the believers to pray. He doesn't want them relying on themselves. He wants them completely dependent on God. And this, in doing this, it equips the believer to live for Christ in tribulation. Paul was dependent on prayer because of who the church prayed to. And he was dependent on the Holy Spirit for courage and the words to speak. He knew that if he had the opportunity to stand before Caesar, that he could, not in his own strength, but dependent on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would bring the words to him. Paul knew the scriptures, but he was dependent on the Holy Spirit to equip him to preach the gospel. And we go now to verse 20, because it reminds us of what was written, uh, of, of what is stated here, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all, born, all, all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my bo- body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul is confident that he will indeed speak boldly and preach the gospel at his trial. Now, he doesn't know if it will lead to his release or to his death. But he, in all certainty, both expects that Christ will be glorified, whether it will be in his life or in his death. And again, it's because of the saints praying to the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit. He is certain of this. And this is how he lives for Christ in tribulation. It's his dependence on the Lord, his confidence in the Lord. And and this hasn't changed. As saints, saints, this must be, should be music to our ears. We are not expected to carry the burdens in this life. If we are in the middle of some sort of tribulation, yes, it it will be weary to us. It will be a struggle. It will be a burden. It may come from an an attack from Satan or a situation that is even brought on by ourselves. But God has given us one another so that we can pray for one another, seeking the help and aid uh, of one another and, and praying to the Lord who provides all. And we have God himself, the Holy Spirit, who will convict us, who will lead us, who will bring boldness to us in order for us to speak. So we are not alone in trials and tribulations. We have the Lord and he is more than enough. And this is what Paul's confidence was in here. This is why he could live the life that he did in tribulation. Because he was dependent on God. And now we move to our second point. A desire to live. uh, A desire to live and a desire to die. So let's just now, we're going to go a bit into verse 20 and all the way through to 26. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, 
but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labour. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for the fur- your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So as we've seen at the end of verse 20, Paul stated that whether he lives or dies, Jesus will be magnified. Paul is certain by the prayers and the strength of the Holy Spirit that he will preach the gospel with boldness and Christ will be magnified. No matter how that trial ends, whether it results in him being released or killed. As I've mentioned, for for Paul, his own life is unimportant in the sense of uh, of the decisions he makes, of, of what happens to him. His focus is on preaching Christ. That is his aim. So for every minute he lived, that was his focus. He wanted to glorify Christ with his life. Paul knew his life wasn't his own. It belonged to Jesus. So the decisions he made, the things that he did, was not based on his flesh, not on the desires of his flesh. His life was for the glory of Jesus. His desire to live is so that he can live for Christ. That was his purpose. But on the other side of this, he had his desire to live, but he had a desire to die. Let's just read verses 21 to 23. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labour. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So Paul has a desire to live so he can serve Christ. We see that in verse 21. And so that more fruit will come from his labour. So he will see more fruit coming from, from his, his life of dedication to, to the Lord. But he also has a desire to die. Because death is a gain for Paul. You see this as a, as a, as a plus uh, in verse 21. And it's a plus because he will be with Jesus. So Paul clearly favours death. Because he he says it's far better because he'll be with Jesus. Now we need to be clear on this. Paul is not advocating suicide. He's not. His death will come when the Lord decides. He's not taking that into his own hands. Because he knows that to end his own life would be murder. And another thing that must be made clear is that Paul's great desire to die and to be with Christ does not impact him living for Jesus. Every believer should look forward to death. However, it should not make us inefficient on earth. Paul does not let his own desire to be with Christ have a negative effect on his work. He doesn't decide to kind of slink off somewhere quiet and wait for the sweet release of death. He works heartily for the Lord and seeks the glory of God in all that he does. So we're going to look at these two things now. And I want to look firstly at Paul's desire to live. Paul wants the church to grow. He, he says that here. It shows that he's, 
in his labour, he wants to see the fruit of his labour, he wants to go to them, it's a benefit to the church. Um, he wants the church to grow. He knows for certain that if his life is spared, he will have the opportunity to aid the furtherance of the, the faith of the Philippian church. If Paul lives and has further opportunity to meet with them, there'll be fellowship, there'll be prayers, there'll be communion, there'll be preaching, there'll be all the things that builds up the saints. It'll be a joyous occasion. Although death is um, preferable to Paul, it's not stopping him here, is it? He's, he's desperate to, to be with, with the saints while he's alive, but he's desperate to be with the Lord in death. So, we think about this um, now, today, don't we? Um, we? We think about Paul here, um, if he was released, what a joy that would be to the saints. We think about how wonderful that would be to, to have Paul avoid further persecution and come home to believers. I mean, we can think about this today, can't we, when um, Stephen tells us uh, about the the Christians in India, who um, under, I think it's a Hindu government, isn't it still? They're in, they're un, under this Hindu government who is persecuting them. It's stopping money coming through. But how much more do we rejoice at the work of the Lord that in spite of all of this, the church is, is still growing? And it's the same here with Paul and the Philippian church. If, if he comes away from, from the trial and, and he's with the church, how much rejoicing Will there be? So for it back to us again, where do we stand when we look at Paul's situation here? What has the Lord called us to do? What situations has he put you in as an individual? Where is your mission field? What are your trials and tribulations? What work have you been called to do? What are your requests for prayer with one another? And again, we must come as believers and speak of the struggles we have and ask for prayer as Paul does here. Not because it's just a tick box exercise, not with a heart that attempts to earn favour by by praying more, but because of the heart that Paul has here. He looks to Jesus. He looks to the one who saved him and we should too. We should look to the one who saved us. You see, we have been brought to our knees under the weight of the law. We knew that we were incapable of meeting the standard of perfection that is required of us by God in order to be accepted by him. But that is not possible for us. Yet, whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. He revealed to us that he is the only way of salvation. That the only way we can meet the standard of perfection is not by us but by trusting in Christ. Only in him can our sins be atoned for. In Jesus, we are saved through him. He is the mediator between man and God, the one in whom our faith stands and is secure. Now, only in Jesus can we be certain that at death, we can stand holy and blameless. We have assurance that the wrath of God has been quenched on the cross. And that we will rise from death and be with our Redeemer in heaven. So whatever our call is in this life, whatever our call is on earth, 
Whatever we suffer, whatever pain we have, whatever comes our way, we can go through it all with joy because we are secure in Christ. And we can do this because we look for help, don't we? And where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not suffer our foot to be moved. He, he who keeps us does not slumber. We are dependent on God who is never changing. He is the same today as he was yesterday and he's the same tomorrow. We are dependent on a good and holy God. So this is why we can live for Christ, because he equips us to do so. So what about Paul's desire then to to depart from this world? He said to die is better. It's a greater thing for him. Is it for you? Does death seem better for you? Do you desire to be on this earth more than you desire to be with Jesus? Let's see what waits for us at death. Romans 7, 22 to 24. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? At death, we can be rid of this wretched body and sinful state. There will no longer be a constant battle against this sinful nature. No longer will we have to, to, to fight and wade our, our way against the flesh. No longer will we be mourning at our own sin. For at death, all this will be destroyed. We will be raised to a new life. No longer will we be crying out, oh wretched man, that we are. At death, a believer will also be released from suffering. Revelation 21.4 And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. So for the Christian, death releases us from all the sickness and death in this world. There's going to be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain. That will be gone. We'll be completely free from this. How wonderful a thing it is. Now, all this does sound good, but that is not what we should actually be desiring. These are the things that will occur at death. But we shouldn't desire to be taken to heaven to escape pain and suffering. We should desire to go because of what Paul wrote in verse 23. He desires, desires to depart this world so that he can be with Jesus. So in light of who Jesus is and all that he has done and how he has saved us from our sins, our desire to depart this world should be so that we can be with him, that we can be with our Lord and Saviour who sits and reigns in heaven. Jesus should be our desire to live, but he should also be our desire to depart from this world. And Jesus is the reason we can say what Paul said, what Paul wrote to uh to the Corinthian church. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 
The sting of death has been taken away by the atoning work of Jesus. In Christ, no longer does a person fear the wrath of God. No longer does a person face eternal punishment for sins and a rejection of Christ. Instead, the believer rejoices because, because death leads the believer to Christ. They will come face to face with their saviour. Again, people have a peculiar view of what awaits for them. Glenn touched on that again this morning about people thinking, wondering what's in heaven for them. Is it clouds? Is it for, for the Muslim? It can be all sorts of, of various things that they seem to have earned. That should not be, these things are, are just stupidity. It's just silliness. Because there's something far greater in heaven. There is Christ. And again, this is why Paul desires death. This is why Paul can live under tribulation. This is why Paul can forsake all the earthly benefits for a life of suffering. Because he had a certain hope in Jesus that at death he would be forever with him in heaven. So brothers and sisters, none of us know how long we are here for. We do not know when we will be called home. It could be on the way home this evening. I do not know what tribulations you or I will face. I don't know who you will bury or who will bury you. But I do know that you and I have been called. We've been called to live for Christ. And as we see from the scripture, we know that we will die. And that through death, we get to be with our saviour. But for those who are, who are yet to repent and call on the name of Christ, who, are, who have yet to, to repent and turn to Jesus for salvation, I ask you to look towards your death now. You do not know the time that you will be called to stand before God. Death comes swiftly. So now, right now is the time to call on the name of Christ. For at death there is no second chance. There is no do-over. You face the wrath of God for eternity. So, all, all that is on offer for us, whether in life or death, we look to Jesus. That is all we need. Brothers and sisters, you look to Christ for salvation. Look to him to strengthen you in your walk. Look to Jesus in tribulation. He will see you through. Look to Jesus when death closes in. For when death arrives, you will be, for certain, you will be taken home to be with your Lord and Saviour. Amen. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counsellor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory for ever. Amen.